Well, good morning. So I, I am Steve Davis, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Uh, as we, last week, some of you may, have know, may know, but uh, last week marked the 35th anniversary of something known as the Miracle on Ice. And uh, some of you think the Miracle on Ice is what happened when you tried to get here from home. Um, but I'm glad you made it. Uh, and that was amazing too. That was exciting. Um, and this isn't to be confused with the, th- the thing that happens when princesses and characters put on ice skates and skate around and jump and stuff. Um, Disney on ice, no, that's different. The miracle there, or at least the very amazing thing there is, how many of us get suckered into buying those tickets and buying the souvenirs on the way home? But um, I- I'm one of those. No, the-, the miracle on ice is about the... U.S. hockey team in 1980, and the miracle happened when they beat uh, the Russians, the Soviet Union, in Lake Placid, New York. And the reason this was such a big deal is that uh, the Soviet Union team had won six of the last seven gold medals, and the 1980 team may have been their best team yet. It was so good that it beat uh, the NHL, the the professional hockey player all-star team, just a couple months before this, six to nothing. And then they played the U.S. team, the, the amateur team that was the Olympic team, just a couple months prior in an exhibition game and won 10-3. to So they're just crushing everybody. And somehow on February 22, 1980, uh, the U.S. team of these amateur and collegiate players, led by Coach Herb Brooks, defeated the Soviet Union in the medal round 4-3. to U.S. went on to win the gold medal, and that was fantastic. Um, but if you remember it or if you've ever seen a highlight of it, You'll remember that uh, Al Michaels has this sort of famous call in the closing seconds as this game was going on. He said, do you believe in miracles? Yes. And then they win. And uh, I'm not a very good Al Michael, uh, Al Michaels in copier. Uh, thank you. Whenever I impersonate Al Michaels, I sound like Marv Albert, which is someone totally different and it doesn't work. But as amazing as that was, and it was amazing, it was completely unexpected. It was out of the blue. It was awesome. But as amazing as it is, uh, the miracles of, of the world, stuff like that, um, it's not nearly as amazing as the miracles that God works in people's lives. And so we're talking about that in this series here at Genesis, uh, and we're in week three of Through the Lens. And uh, we're looking at the seven miracles of Jesus that are all found in the Gospel of John. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to John 5 now. We're going to do our work uh, there. But much like the way a camera lens helps us better see an image. The miracles of Jesus help us better get a picture of God. And so what Jesus is doing in these miracles and what he wants us to see is not just that he can do miracles, not just that miracles can happen. That's part of it. But more than anything else, Jesus wants to show us what God is like, how loving, compassionate, and great our Heavenly Father is. And so in week one, we talked about uh, the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. And uh, that was in Cana, which is up here. And uh, he turned water into wine. And one of the things that we were reminded of uh, in that message was that God is powerful. We were reminded of God's power. But more importantly, we were reminded of God's loving heart, that he blesses extravagantly. Steve said he doesn't skimp, and, and I like that. Um, and then because of signs like that, People believed in him. So it's important to remember that Jesus wants followers who believe. And then last week, you might remember we talked about uh, the miracle of Jesus healing the royal official's son. Jesus 
I had wandered around a bit, and, and Steve did a great job, I thought, of walking us through where he had been, where Jesus had been. He's back in Cana, and he healed uh, the royal official's son, who wasn't in Cana at all. He was in Capernaum, and so it was 20 miles away. Um, and so there we, we remembered, or we were reminded that it's amazing when we can trust God, but it's particularly amazing when we can trust Him during our most desperate times. And in absolute desperation, He is who uh, we, we need to turn to. And Jesus wants followers who believe. And so today, my goal is, at the end of the message, you will, uh, first of all, know more about God and know more about who He is. Um, that Second, you'll grow in your belief in Him, that we might believe more in Him because of the works um, of Jesus. And then third, that because we know more about God, because we believe He is who He says He is, um, that we would be ready and willing to accept the great life that He's offering us. Because no matter where you are in your belief in Jesus, whether you're not sure who He is yet, uh, whether you're just starting out, whether you've believed for years, or any place in between, I know that um, if you, if I, continue to seek God, to pursue Him, to know Him more, we just might find ourselves in the middle uh, of some miracles. So we're going to continue the series today, uh, but before we do that, pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this morning and for bringing us here safely. Thank you for um, all the people you have working to clear roads for us so we can get home and so people can continue um, to, to travel and, and do what they need to do later in today. But for this time today, we're thankful and we pray that you would help us to focus on you, help us to remember you, and God, we love you and need you. Uh, may my words be pleasing to you. Uh, may they be yours, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the occurrence we're going to talk about today happens in Jerusalem. And what I love about what Steve's been doing in, in the series, what we've been doing is walking and working through the life of Jesus. It helps to remember Jesus is he was a real, a real man. He lived on earth in a real place at a real time. And so the map sort of helps us understand where his ministry was, where, where, where he worked. And uh, God is so merciful because I'm not really very good at this. And so for, for this miracle, you'll remember that last week we were in Cana. And for this miracle, the only thing that happens between that miracle and where we are today is in verse 1 of John 5. And it says, Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So all I have to do to walk you through what happened between last week and this is... He was here, and now he's here. There to there. I don't know how he got there. We don't know where he went. We don't know who he visited. We don't know if he you know, went back to his birth town or not or what he did, but he went from Cana to Jerusalem. So that's where we are. And uh, let's just dig in. Verse 1 in chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. So we'll pause there. So where are we? We're at the Pool of Bethesda, located near the Sheep Gate. It's also translated the Sheep Pool. And I don't know a lot, but I know that it's a bad idea to put a Sheep Gate near a body of water. It's kind of like a bird bath for sheep, only it's really big. And so I just want us to get a feel for how dirty this place must have been. It was kind of a gross place. And then 
um, around this body of water that the sheep probably were washed in on their way into the temple to be sacrificed, uh, around this pool, a great number of disabled people would lie, um, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so uh, the picture that I have of this place is a, a, a gross place with some very sad people all around it all the time. And it was a big place. Five covered colonnades is a big place. Lots of people. And uh, it's a good reminder, and we could probably give an entire message on the idea that sometimes we're called to go into some really sad places and to be a light. And Jesus willingly walked into this sad place near the temple. Uh, Why was everyone there? Well, there was this local superstition... Uh, in verse 4, this belief that the waters were miraculous, that they contained healing powers, that every once in a while the waters would be stirred. And so uh, the, the translation sometimes says an angel of the Lord would stir the waters. But interestingly, uh, it's found tucked in a footnote. All of verse 4 is tucked in a footnote. Um, and verse, in verse 5, it just skips from 3 to 5. I wonder if it's tucked in the footnote because... Although that's what people believe, there was actually no evidence that this ever actually happened. Uh, Historians say that the Jewish leaders didn't really encourage this. They didn't really support it. But they didn't stop it either. They just kind of looked the other way. So whatever the case, people from all over came to, to lie here and wait for the water to be stirred. And when it was stirred, if you were the first one in, these people believed, you would be healed. And so in verse 5 we meet, the man that we're talking about today. John records that that a man had been there, lying there, for 38 years. Now, 38 years was not a short life in the first century. Uh, A lot of people didn't live to to reach 40. And so I think he'd been an invalid for at least most of his life, if not all of his life. Um, And I can't imagine living my entire life, I can't imagine living for 38 years with a physical handicap um, that, that prevented my ability to get around and do things. And, and some of you can totally relate to that. Some of you are or know people who have um, serious physical handicaps. Um, but I can't, I can't really relate to a physical handicap. But I can relate to these people in other ways. And maybe you can too. Uh, I was reading uh, about Roger Crawford this week. And Roger Crawford is a, a man who was born... Uh, with one uh, whole leg and with uh, arms that didn't have hands on the end of I mean, he's he's just not whole. And, and somehow he's figured out how to hold a tennis racket and with, a, with the help of an artificial leg and a lot of practice to work his way around a tennis court so well that he is a tennis pro. He's a certified USTA teacher of, of the game of tennis. And he's a motivational speaker now. And he says this. He says, listen, the only difference... Between you and me, between you without a a physical handicap and me with them, is that you can see my handicap, but I can't see yours. We all have them. Some of us are just better able to disguise our handicap. But the the truth is, we all have problems. And not just short-term problems that like go away after a few weeks. We're talking about ongoing issues, ongoing struggles that affect the way you're able to to thrive and live your life. And so for some of us here today, uh, it might be a marriage. It's just been really, really hard for a really long time. Um, It might be uh, ongoing medical issues, uh, chronic headaches or depression. Some of us have have financial problems, uh, the root of which is overspending, or weight issues, the root of which is overeating, or 
time problems. Some have problems managing our time because we overcommit and say yes to everything. Others of us have addictions, whether it be an addiction to alcohol or another substance or to pornography, or some of you have been the victim of abuse in your past or it's ongoing, but it's eating you up every day. Some of you have legal issues that cost money and time and emotion and energy. Maybe it's not a physical handicap, but we all have issues, be them spiritual issues, um, heart issues. I mean, who did Jesus find at the pool of um, Bethesda? It says he found the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And so some of us are spiritually blind, spiritually lame, or spiritually paralyzed. And I think that's important to remember, that sometimes we, uh, we see other people that are having such great uh, spiritual awakening. They're they're really having a great time. They're coming to church. They're having, a, they're having an experience that is so what we want, but it's just not happening for us right now. Maybe uh, you're struggling to get here at all, and when you do, it just feels like you're not making any progress. You're wounded. You're injured spiritually. Somehow it's not working out. All of us have those experiences, and I think that's important to remember because the story is not just about the lame man by the pool. It's about you and about me too. We're with these people lying by the pool with their physical handicaps because not only did they have physical handicaps, you know they had spiritual issues too. You know they asked the same kind of questions that we ask. Why God me? Why God now? What's going on? And I think Jesus realized this too. He realized they needed more than just physical healing and that might help us better understand what he does next, which is a little bit weird. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? And that's where I pause and just say, yikes. Like that is pretty insensitive, it seems to me. Maybe it's a rhetorical question. um, Or maybe it is insensitive. Or maybe it's insulting. But it's kind of like asking somebody who doesn't have any money, can I... Would you like $100? Or someone who doesn't have any food, you know, would you like to go to dinner at Golden Corral? Um, it's kind of like my wife Sarah asking me, do you want to make out? <laughs> yeah. It's an obvious answer. You don't have to ask that question. So while it might seem a little insensitive, I think Jesus asked the exact right question at the exact right time for this man because uh, he knows that the man's problem is deeper than just his physical problems. So he wanted to get to the heart of it. So uh, verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And so I think Jesus asked a yes or no question. And that's just the way I work. If I ask you a yes or no question, it should be a yes or no answer. He doesn't even answer the question. Um, He gives an excuse. He's ready with it. It comes right out. But I think what John wants us to see, what's happening with this guy because I think it happens with us sometimes too, is that there really could be reasons that he didn't want to get well. Why would we possibly want to say no thanks to an offer like this? Well, the best thing I can think of is this. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you've ever been to a mall, or maybe someone has come door to door and made this kind of statement to you, but as I walk through the mall and I I am approached by people that work in the kiosks or elsewhere, and they might say something like, would you like me to save you 50 bucks a month? And my response is, absolutely without exception, no thanks. I'm not interested. Um, now, if I saw $50 sitting on the ground, I would totally pick it up. $600 in a year, I would totally pick that up. 
But there's some reason that I don't really believe that what you're selling is something I really want. Um, and so why would I refuse that? Uh, similarly, I had someone once come to my door and say, would you like a free carpet cleaning? And I said, yes, that sounds great, free carpet cleaning. Um, what I now know is that I'll always say no if someone offers me a free carpet cleaning. Because it's not about cleaning my carpet. It's about a four-hour presentation about how dirty my house is and how you know, they have the, the cure that will take care of all my ills. So we might say no to a question that seems so obvious. Do you want to get well? Of course I want to get well. Sometimes we say no for two reasons. One, we don't believe that the person who's asking the question can really do what they say they can do. So I know you've said you could save me 50 bucks. I don't think you can really do it because I'm going to have to do all these other things and there's always a catch and there's always a trigger that means I didn't really get the full 50 and it's not worth my time, so I'm going to say no. But here it's God asking the question. So is God asking a question that is too good to be true? Or could he really do it? And so one of the reason, primary reasons we're studying these miracles is so that we can better see who God is and what he can do. Exodus fifteen twenty six says, For I am the Lord who heals you. For the man in the story, he's looking to the waters of the pool. Um, he's looking for someone else to help him get to the waters of the pool. He's looking elsewhere and to other things to satisfy him like we do the same thing today. But ultimately, God is the one who heals. Jesus asks, do you want to get well? And he fires back whiny, excuse-filled responses with an admission that he needs help. But I think he's so preoccupied with his problem that he doesn't even see who asks the question. And later, after the miracle has happened, we learn that he doesn't even know who healed him? He didn't see who asked the question. And so some, some, sometimes we might ask the question, could God really help me? Or would God really help me? Um, can he do it? Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And then in verse 9, For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. He made the heavens and the earth with his word, by his breath, with his voice. He made the animals of the sea. And most importantly, He made you and He made me. And we are precious to Him. Um, Psalm 139.13 says that, For you, Lord, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So we are His works. We could be wonderful. He knit us. Like that knitting takes time. I don't knit. I don't know how, but I know it involves some of this, and, and it takes a long, long time. We are precious to Him. So He knows you. He knows me. He knows every hair on your head, every tear you've ever cried, every thought you've had, every moment you've lived. He knows every hurt you've ever experienced, every sin you've ever committed, every fear you've ever had. He knows your situation right now. He knows all about your marriage. He knows all about what's going on with your health and your finances. He knows your depression, and He loves you with an everlasting love. And if... If he is who he says he is, and we believe he is who he says he is, and he doesn't worry, and he doesn't fear, he doesn't shake, he's all-powerful, merciful, loving, and compassionate, he is our Father, the Lord, our healer. And so, okay, if he's all of that, would we still say no to him? Because he could do it. I believe now he could do it, but we still might be reluctant to accept the help. Why would we be reluctant? Um... 
So the next thing is this, is if you all really could, all of you could save me $50 a month, all you'd have to do is sit me down, talk to me, and convince me to give up cable TV. I think I'd save more than $50 a month if I would just cut the cable, right? Um, And you could do that by talking me out of it. All I'd have to do is unplug, right? Probably tear up the contract. There's probably a cancellation fee. There's all that stuff. But I could save $50 a month, and you could make that happen for me. I might still say no because I'm pretty comfortable with sort of my addiction to the television. I'm pretty comfortable. Sometimes there's 100 channels and nothing on, but I still watch. I still flip. I'm still sitting there. We get pretty comfortable in our handicaps. Uh, Maybe Jesus realizes that this guy has grown pretty accustomed to his circumstances and so much so that he couldn't see his way out. That disability had consumed every part of his life, affecting him emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And he was comfortable there. There was no middle class in in, in this first century. I mean, 98%, historians suggest, lived in poverty, working really, really hard to barely get by. And this guy had a terrible existence, but he, he had lived this way for 38 years. He had found some way to get some food. Uh, 38 years is a long time. It's a lifetime. Do you really want to start over now? Because if you're healed, things are going to change. And are you ready for that? There's a man named Randall Church who was in prison for 26 years in California. And after 26 years, he was, he was let out of prison and... 96 days after being out of jail, um, he found an empty house and he set fire to it. And when he went to the fire station to confess to the crime, he said, I'd really like my, je- my job back as a janitor in the prison unit. I'd really like to go back. And so maybe Jesus asked the layman, do you want to get well? Because it was a real question. And healing him physically wasn't enough. That's not well. He's got to change his heart too. So I don't know about some of you, but do you really want to get out of debt? Um, shopping's the, the drug of choice for a lot of us. Um, do you really want to overcome the addiction that has held you hostage for, for years? Um, do you want more out of life? Do you want to be joyful and happy? Because negativity and pessimism can sometimes be our norm, norm. So maybe part of the reason why he has you here today, despite all the snow, is to ask you, do you want to get well? And are you ready? And are you willing to do what it takes? And so maybe some of you are saying, Steve... You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through right now. You don't know what it's like to live with him or to live with her. And that's true. I don't, but but he does. So the point is, the person asking the question is able to do what he says he can do. So verse 8, Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And notice that Jesus didn't ask. He told. Uh, The man never actually answered Jesus' question, but because Jesus is full of love, uh, because he's full of compassion, and because he wanted others to see how loving his Father is, he said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And verse 9 says, At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. I love this. He picked up his mat first, and then he walked. Uh, I think we're reminded that obedience precedes the miraculous. Uh, just like last week, uh, the, the royal official, Jesus said, go, your son will be healed. And the, the official had to sort of think about, is he just getting rid of me? Because i got a 20-mile walk. Is he just getting rid of me or did he really do it? 
And the royal official believed. He turned and he went. Obedience preceded the miraculous. So this man, the lame man by the sheep pool, took Jesus at his word. He picked up his mat and he walked. Uh, God told Moses, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. God told Moses, hold out your arm and the Red Sea will part. God could have parted the Red Sea without Moses doing this, right? It's not a magic trick. It's God. He could do that. But obedience preceded the miraculous. Noah, go build yourself an ark. Naaman, dip yourself in the water seven times. He told this man, take up your mat and walk. And so um, obedience precedes the miraculous. And the same could be true of you and I today. Maybe there's something that we need to get rid of. I think one of the practical pieces of advice, sometimes God's statements uh, have such practical ramifications, get rid of that mat. So the man picked up his mat and he got rid of it. Well, that's like saying, get rid of that thing because you're not coming back. Because once he picks up the mat and leaves his spot, you know that because people are trying to get to the water first, that as soon as he exits this spot, someone from further away is coming in. There's no going back. Get rid of that mat and walk. Live differently than you did before. You can't come back to this place. I'm not going to heal you so you can run around acting like you're sick again. So how about you? Uh, Imagine Jesus walking into your life and your circumstances today and asking, do you want to get well? Are you willing to pick up your mat and walk? There are examples of lottery winners who have won millions of dollars in one month and then a year later lost it all or several years later lost it all, been bankrupt. They didn't fix the issue. And God isn't offering a magic elixir that just covers up the symptoms. He's offering life change. And it's a big difference. Uh, So, what is your mat? Let's think about this a little bit today. Um, If you have an addiction, what is it and how can you get rid of it? Do you need to turn the internet off? Do you need to put the computer in a, a public space? Do you need to throw the bottles out? Do you need to find professional help and an accountability partner? Do you have bitterness and resentment that hangs around you all the time over one situation? And is it time to forgive? And could the obedience of forgiving, we are all called to forgive, could that precede the miraculous, the change? If you feel guilty, if you've felt convicted about something, seek forgiveness. Um, If you want to lose weight, push the plate away. See a doctor, find someone to help you get on an exercise plan. Um, I need to stop eating pizza buffets. Like, I know what I need to do to be healthier physically and I can't do it myself. So am I praying about it? Or am I just trying to rely on my own self to get this stuff done because it's not working? Um, I want to be generous. Don't you want to be generous? Don't you want people to know you as a generous person? And we hear this, I want to be generous. Start being generous and, and take baby steps toward generosity. It's not just with your wallet. That's part of it. But with your words, with your actions, with your time, start being generous. If you've got a spending problem and you say, I really want to get out of debt, cut up the credit cards. Seek a financial advisor, some help from someone you trust. If you're lonely, get into a group. We've got groups here. There are groups, lots of places. We have groups here waiting for you to join. Don't keep saying you're lonely without making a step toward that way. Obedience will precede the miraculous. If you're on the verge of an affair, stop. End it today. Seek accountability from a friend or your group. 
Go get a new job that, that would allow you to spend more time in your marriage or your family. Not like you can just pick jobs up anywhere you want. I know. I know it's hard. But may, maybe start looking. Start filling out applications. Make something happen. Because if you're struggling with an, an issue and you're struggling spiritually, more than anything else, we should seek Jesus. He can heal you. He can restore you. And He's ready to. Because there's nothing too great for Him, right? The God that created the heavens and the earth. He is our Lord, our healer, and He's ready to, ready to lift some of us to new life today. And again, that's important. It's a new life. Uh, in verse 14, we, we pick the story back up. And just as later, Jesus found him, the man uh, that He healed at the temple. And He said to him, See, actually she said, So, so, you are well again. Stop sinning. Change. I healed you physically. I can heal you more. Stop sinning. I've given you a new life and a fresh start. So go and live life to the fullest. So often we settle for so much less than God's best because it's comfortable. So follow him because he is God. He said to the man, it's not like I'm going to heal you, just so you can come back and act like you're sick again. So all of this, all of our discussion in every week when we're talking about these miracles comes down to who we believe God is. So who is He? Is He an offerer of medicine that covers symptoms? Or is He an offerer of cures? Is He truly a healer? Is He big enough for your biggest, scariest, gnarliest problems? Um, Does He love you enough to care about the smallest, most minute details of your life? He does. And so what are you going to do with Him? He's the same God who turned water into wine. He's the same God who healed the royal official's son from 20 miles away. He's the same one who, who healed the lame man by the sheep pool. And he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. So he's the one that thinks that you and me, we're worth hanging on nails for. That's who God is, and that's how much he loves you. So who is God for you? Let's take just a, a few moments um, and let's, let's reflect on that quietly for a bit. He is here. He's right here. In this room, in your heart. He is near. Nearer than breath heartbeat, nearer than you are to you, closer than second chance or next opportunity, closer than tonight or yesterday. He is real, more real than touch, see, hear, smell, or taste, more real than reality. He is our reality, more real than joy, pain, sorrow, or the love of being in love. He is present like space, wind, time, silence, night. He is waiting like creation, like words on the tip of tongue, like songs that have yet to be sung. He is beauty in oranges, blues, every hue, every shade, sunset and sunrise, whisper his name. He is holy, cannot be touched, explained like sweet seconds of prayer, like grandmother on knees, wood floor bare. He is old hymns, the extending of limbs, stretch across trees, stripes to heal disease. He is sun, 
distinctly three, distinctly one, the only one, the only wise, the only resurrector of lives. He is king. And no earthly throne can house him. No amount of elegant words can espouse him. He is moment and voice, power of choice in word and deed, in fruit and seed, nailed hands, nailed feet, innocent wounds that bleed. He is believe, he is all, he is call and purpose. Everything we can sacrifice, he's worth it and more, much more. Our good deeds are mere pennies, we'll never even So knowing who God is, knowing the offer that he makes, what are you wanting God to do for you? Maybe ask yourself, where do I worry? Where do I resent? Where do I envy? Where am I carrying this this bitterness and this anger? What are my addictions? What am I avoiding? Who am I avoiding? Who needs me? And what am I doing to put barriers between me and God? And what's the next step for me to start removing those barriers? Because he's asking, do you want to get well? So that's what we're asking. Are you ready? Do you want to get well? He can do it. He can do it today. He's always ready. So if you would uh, stand, let's, let's pray. Let's go to the one who can take care of all of our troubles. God, thank you. Thank you for being you and letting us be us. Thank you for being bigger than all of our problems, than all of our hurt. Thank you for working miracles in our lives. Thank you for the power that you show so that we might know you more and the love that you show so that we might know you more. And thank you for this time this morning. God, for your son, we thank you for your grace. We thank you and We are excited about the change that you are offering in our lives and we're 
we're praying for people to start accepting that and for all of us to accept more of it every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.